Hi, this is Bear Christianity, chapter four, Over My Dead Body. When somebody suggested to Joanna that she go on a blind date with Tim, she politely declined. Actually, it wasn't polite at all. She said, over my dead body. Nothing in her was telling her that it was a good idea. No voice within was saying that a blind date with anyone, even Tim, was the way forward. Following on from my last chapter about the power of other people's words and actions in our lives, in this chapter I want to talk a bit more about the power of God's words to us in our lives and their powerful influence to strengthen and even change us. Now in Deptford, people are often shouting. That's how I first met Rupert. He was shouting. He was leaning in the door of our cafe at the Bear, breathing alcoholic fumes all over one of our customers and shouting. When I stepped in and asked the customer if she was okay and if I could help at all, Rupert didn't take it very well. The conversation heated up, so I suggested we talk outside, which Rupert was very happy with because it meant that he had the space to take his top off and meet me bare-chested, feet dancing, arms swinging and fists clenched. I am willing to go to prison because of you, he shouted rather too convincingly, and a small crowd began to gather, and he continued... Why has the devil sent you to me? Uh, Well, that wasn't what I was expecting. It was close to what I had been thinking, only the other way around. Uh, The devil hasn't sent me to you, I replied. I was pretty certain at the time that that was true. Rupert then suddenly fell on the floor. I hadn't touched him, and he didn't seem to be able to get up. So he started to crawl away. Pete, who was our cafe manager at the time picked up Rupert's top and followed him to the churchyard around the corner where he helped him get dressed again and sat on a bench with him for a while. Pete had a lot of grace at times of need and a warm smile which did go a bit wonky after he had a case of Bell's palsy. Now after Pete left our cafe he got a job answering 999 calls for the emergency services. I heard that somebody once called back especially to comment on how helpful and kind he was on the phone. I guess they didn't ring 999 to do that but it does make me wonder about the voices in Pete's past the loudest voices, the words that sank in and made the most difference. They must have been kind. Now, Deptford's not short of people who behave like Rupert did. So in our cafe, we installed an emergency doorbell. We no longer have the doorbell because we have moved buildings and we no longer have the cafe. But when we did, every now and again, the bell would ring upstairs in my office calling me to assist. A couple of times stand out more than others. One being a time when a man came in saying he had a gun and a bell rang. And another time somebody threatened to burn the place down and the bell rang. The loudest voices in their past must have been so destructive. So destructive that they couldn't help but hurt people around them. It was like they were bleeding from their wounds, bleeding all over whoever got close. It's so hard to live around people who are living in response to such negative voices. It's like they're trapped under them. The man who threatened to burn the bear down did so repeatedly. He threatened repeatedly. He didn't actually burn the bear down. But sadly, he himself did die in a fire. He was sleeping in a squat when it burnt down. He was only 34. But not long after the confrontation between me and Rupert on the street outside the bear, God spoke to him. And somehow God's voice got through. Rupert told me it happened while he was collapsed in the gutter after suffering a stroke. Now, I don't know exactly what God said to him, but Rupert changed. In the film Forrest Gump, Forrest describes the sky as so beautiful that sometimes he couldn't tell where the sky stopped and heaven started. Well, after his revelation in the gutter, 
There were times when I talked to Rupert that I felt that I couldn't tell where he stopped and Jesus started. That's how much he changed. That's what can happen when people hear God's voice and it prevails when it becomes louder than all the other voices. Now, I should say that Rupert didn't become perfect like Jesus all the time. Sometimes it was very easy to tell the difference between them. For example, I'll never forget the time when we had four break-ins in one week at the bear and Rupert said that he knew who was to blame and that he'd threatened to break their neck if it happened again. Now, part of me quite liked the idea, I admit, but I did explain that a simple request would be enough. We didn't have any break-ins for a long time after that. Unfortunately, I didn't see any yellow signs asking for witnesses to a murder by broken neck either. So hopefully we're okay. My dad once told me, that the hard thing about Christianity is not just believing it's true, but it's also changing in response. It's not just believing it's true, it's also changing in response. And when he said it, we were talking about people's reluctance to change rather than their ability to change. We agreed that when you really chew Christianity over, it's not at all unreasonable. In fact, it makes good sense. Now, of course, I would say that. The reluctance, he suggested, summarised in my words, is that while Christianity may promise in a peace, as Paul says in Philippians 4 verse 8, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and mind. It promises inner peace within, but it doesn't promise a comfortable life. And the idea of an uncomfortable life can definitely cause reluctance. In this chapter, however, I'm not talking about people's reluctance to change. I'm talking about their ability to change. The spirit is willing said Jesus, but the flesh is weak, Matthew 26. I know that feeling. Most of the time I have a willing spirit to follow Jesus, as well as a convinced mind with good intentions, but the problem is my basic lack of self-control. I know what it's like to be trapped in various vices, wanting to change and despairing at my lack of ability to actually do it. In the book of Hebrews 4 verse 12, it says that God's word is sharp, like a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, laying us open to listen and obey. And the writer goes on to say that nothing and no one is impervious to God's word. We can't get away from it, no matter what. For those who want to change, but can't, this is great news and reassuring, because it means that no matter how much control or lack of control you have over your feelings, God's words to you can get through. They can prevail. They can set you free to listen and obey, which means they can actually help you change. Now, hold on a minute. Before I go on, you may have noticed that I have just put the words free and obey together in the same sentence, as though they complement each other, as though we can obey somebody else and be free at the same time. I admit that is awkward. But in this case, in the case of God's words, they can and do go together naturally. Now, I say this because I believe that freedom is not about being able to do what you want. Rather, it is about being at peace within, being at home with our true identity. If we are created and loved by God, then his words and commands to us would naturally lead to our freedom, to everybody's freedom which is, as the Apostle Paul said, the great plan. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Galatians 5 verse 1. Okay, so 
back to the point about God's words helping us change, if we want to change, that is. God's words are not just good advice to follow and commands to obey because they lead to freedom. They are more than that. They also provide energy and power to listen and obey, to change. They're like the magic ingredient, the X factor to freedom. The Bible is full of references where people found both the courage and the strength to change from God. David comes straight out with it. Lord, my strength, he says in Psalm 18, verse 1. And just before he went up to heaven, Jesus told his disciples that they would receive power from the Holy Spirit and that they should wait for it before going out. He also said to them to pray so that they don't fall into temptation, suggesting that God would help them not to sin. The Apostle Paul later explained that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, suggesting that God's Spirit in us actually helps us control ourselves. And in the book of Jeremiah, the Hebrews even named God the Lord our righteousness. I heard somebody suggest that this was like having a bank balance of righteousness given to us to use that we didn't earn. I really like that idea. I really like that idea. Uh, to top it off, in Matthew 4 verse 4, Jesus said that people shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now he's quoting from Deuteronomy. And I'm pretty certain that he's not saying the word shall as a command. You shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's saying it as a fact, that shall is a fact. You, They do not, you will not live um, on bread alone. He's saying that we need God's words to actually live. In the last chapter, I talked about the power of people's words and actions and how they make all the difference in our lives. But here I'm saying that God's words go even further, providing us with sustenance and the strength to change, to fully change. We just need to let them in somehow, which is a challenge in itself because we do have a tendency to be control freaks so allowing God's words in to change us isn't always that easy the apostle Paul said that God said my power was made perfect in your weakness my power is made perfect in your weakness that's God's power is made perfect in Paul's weakness so it seems that we just have to admit our weaknesses and humble ourselves for Rupert it must have happened in his heart while he was passed out in the gutter. He must have let go of his pride and his fear and humbled himself enough to let God in and to change him. In the end, we'll all be humbled. Of course we will, because we will all die. And then we will all be changed whether we like it or not. Actually says that in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one that we'll all be changed. But letting God's words in now and responding in whatever way we can means that we can start to change now too, in advance of it happening to us. So why not? Why not join in with what God is saying and doing now? Why not listen, obey and be free, that inner freedom? When I first met Joanna, we were celebrating her engagement to Tim. Contrary to her initial objections, she went on that blind date after all. She felt that that was what God told her to do. And so she told me. So I stepped over my dead body 
and I went on a blind date with Tim. And some years, that, uh, actually some time later, I don't think it was years, they were married. I love that phrase. So I stepped over my dead body. Stepping over your own dead body means eating a humble pie. It means listening to God and obeying. It means letting go of some of those things that we hold on to, some of those fears, some of those anxieties, some of those, a load of pride and uh, feelings of self-righteousness that we have sometimes. Letting go of all of that and allowing God's words in. Jesus said, whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Now, you might have said that in a slightly different context. But I do think it stands. And I love the fact that he says whoever. Because whoever means all of us. It means whoever. Next chapter is going to be In Your Right Mind. Chapter 5, I think.